Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype December 1st, 2018. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. We are holding a contest on Model Rail Radio currently. The prizes for this contest are two kits from Mine Mount Models, which, as folks who've listened in for a number of recordings might recall, is... Ron Kleiss's new kit manufacturing company. The requirements for the contest are simple. You produce a plan that fits in total into 1,440 square inches. So you could use my original plan of 5 feet by 2 feet, or you could create a T or a variety of different layouts in that format. It has to be HO. It can be HO narrow gauge if you want, and it should include space for the two kits, which are the prizes. And the kits are... Two and a half inches by 2.75 inches. That's the bait and tackle chop, which actually is a beautiful little structure that can be used for a wide variety of things. And the other structure is 5.5 inches by 3.5 inches. Now, we've had a couple of entries already. The kit's requirements are not quite as uh, stringent on those entries. So just be flexible associated with it. Just enable two structures to be on the plans, and that should be pretty good. So what will happen is on the last day of January at midnight uh, Pacific time, the contest will close and Ron Kleiss and I will go through all the entries with the view that we will select ideally one first prize winner. But if we are in disagreement, there could be two first prize winners. So you have a relatively good chance already of picking up at least a couple of Mind Mount Models kits by entering this contest. Now, I can't speak for Ron Class. Actually, I probably can speak for Ron Class. He's a very easygoing gentleman. I'm a very easygoing gentleman. I can anticipate that we will probably also award kits to folks that enter that have particularly interesting entries. So do not consider this as purely a one in however many people enter chance to get two of the Mind Mount Models kits. I'm more than happy to award uh, prizes for folks that do interesting contributions and in the case of a tie, two folks will get two My Mount Models kits. In the case of a tie plus a few notable mentions, eh, you know, we'll be sending out My Mount Models kits to the folks that meet those criteria. Now, we will take entries from anywhere in the globe. I am going to send these kits out to anywhere in the globe. So do not think that this is a US-centric contest. Do not think that, uh, you know, we're favouring North America in some way. In fact, I think it'd be really nice, actually, to get these kits far and wide. So I might even select a kit to be sent to, you know, a contestant who enters from the most far-flung place on the planet. So a wide variety of ways that folks can, uh, you know, participate in this thing. The way to enter is to email tom at modelrailradio, or one word, dot com. You can also message me on Facebook if you want that email address again. I've been contacted by, uh, I think, both folks that have entered so far in order to get clarification on the email address. So still early days, but we've had two submissions. We've had two very interesting submissions. I don't want to editorialize them too much, but I think it's going to be a great contest for folks that are thinking in that perfect small shelf layout space in HO. So for folks listening in, I'm announcing the contest early in the show. So uh, yeah, please, please consider entering And like I said, the last day of January is when the contest will close, midnight Pacific. I am going to be flying to the UK 
literally the next day. So my anticipation is probably Ron Close and I will convene maybe somewhere midway through February to actually work out who the winners are here. But um, some pretty strong initial entries. I'm not to uh, dissuade anyone who wants to jot something down on a piece of paper and send it in. Oh, I'll accept JPEGs. I'll accept PDFs. If you want a narrative associated with the layout, really, I'll accept a wide variety of different formats. But Tom at modelrailradio.com is the email address to send the entries to. And uh, yeah, that is the Mind Mount Models 2000 and let's say 19 track plan contest so for folks interested in doing something like that good way to i don't know not necessarily win points at the community but certainly explore the possibilities of what could be done in a relatively small space i'd like to welcome on chris adams chris you don't think in these kind of spaces with regards to your layout, but I'm assuming that you have certain parts of your layout that could be, you know, I mean, I'm assuming you have some sections of your layout that aren't room fillers. Have you thought, <laughs> to, have you thought about this contest at all? Are you planning on entering? Have you got any ideas in this space, or is this just outside the remit of your thinking with regards to uh, the model railroading hobby? Well, the... Contest itself is is intriguing, and as a general proposition, I I love looking at these contests. I've never entered one, mm. and uh, <laughs> and probably won't enter this one only because I am fearful of going way down the rabbit hole to uh, to try and come up with something that's uh, going to be um, even um, under serious consideration. However, it is a really neat exercise because one of the things that I probably share with a lot of other folks that have metal railroads, which are a little bit on the larger side, is that feeling that uh, sometimes you go down in the basement and you just feel overwhelmed with all there mm. is to do and how ne- nice it would be in some ways to have something that could be satisfying in such a small space and just really detail that to the hilt. As a matter of fact, a buddy of mine and I were just up at um, a train show in uh, Marlboro, Mass today and just really ooing and eyeing over all of the uh, – the, the tiny little craftsman structure kits there are available now, the, uh, you know, the little laser cut kits of little shanties and small buildings and all the details. It seems that, um, there's a growing segment of the hobby that is shrinking, um, their layouts down to smaller sizes yeah. and actually finishing them. Actually, <laughs> um, <laughs> actually is, finishing uh, them. Yes. <laughs> which is a refreshing change getting, uh, and getting to that fun part of the hobby where you can really get into the detailing. One of the things, one of the strategies that I've come up with on my large layout is actually to think of it in um, small layout bits. Mm. And so that has helped me a lot, although it, it's still, it's still a, a long, long way to go. But it's helped me out a lot in just eating the elephant one bite at a time, which I sometimes say the uh, taking one scene and trying to you know just pretend that that's all I've got to worry about. I don't have to worry about any of the other rooms or the the rest of the railroad, let's just focus on this one scene and doing it, maybe not to the hilt, but at least get some scenery started, you know, get something other than the, uh, the bare bench work. But thinking in terms of, of those sizes, it's a, it's a real challenge if that's going to be your only layout. However, we see in the, in the model press, uh, many, many more examples of that type of thinking. Um, the Brits have been doing it for years, Certainly. um, having uh, staging on each side, the one module approach that Joe Fugate has been, uh, 
um, promoting the past couple of years. You know, the one town layout is something that that started to pop up. And even on some of the threads you're seeing now, people doing a one industry layout, which, you know, may, may be all old news to our uh, uh, friends across the pond, but is kind of a new uh, concept, a relatively new concept, it seems here in the States. So so I'm really interested in, in uh, watching this contest that you've got going and uh, really uh, interested to see what kind of entries come up. But I don't know that I'll be one of them. So, I mean, what's interesting through this is that the hobby is definitely changing to recognize the fact that people tend to be more mobile in their careers. And I think this is something that certainly I've talked and also retirees as well, but the nature of downsizing, the nature of moving, the nature of shifting around. I spent quite a bit of time with the professor when I was last in Australia. We talked about the notion of layouts that can travel in caskets. It's fascinating to me that the the areas of the hobby that have never historically been talked about, the magazines have been very good at basement empires and this kind of stuff. But now, practically, the people that are doing the hobby tend to be doing it in spaces which are not historically traditional, at least in this country, but as you know, to have been practiced. I mean, certainly in Australia and uh, other places as well, there is a culture of uh, micro layouts and fine detailing, as you noted. And I think a lot of the kit manufacturers are moving into the space with some degree of gusto, obviously Ron Kleiss has with, with mind mount models. But yeah, it is an interesting notion and i think the module clubs are part of this as well because the module clubs and we might get michael dorney on if he <laughs> works out but the module clubs do fill a niche in the hobby that people are finding that they don't have the space but they do like the social aspect of the hobby those that like the social aspect of the hobby so people take their modules to these clubs they set them up and the shows i'm not sure in your area but in certainly in our area and through the midwest there seem to be really strong module clubs that are pulling in a lot of folk. The show you went to today, did you see, was there, was there a lot strong module club contingent at the show today? Yes, there was. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to, uh, to mention that as well. The, um, one of the draws of the show is that there are, I'm trying to um, just think off the top of my head, there was uh, two, maybe three HO scale uh, modular clubs represented. There was uh, one... O scale sectional uh, modular club as well, um, but yes, there were, and that was uh, it. Was funny because part of the conversation I was having with my buddy and, and looking at all these, um, you know, the detail parts and the stuff that <laughs> some of us never seem to ever get to. It, you know, the the module aspect or the module approach is is really very attractive because it occurred to me, you know, more than a few times today and in in the past that it would be neat to just kind of do one module, you know, have that um, detailed, you could work through, you know, all the aspects of the hobby. And then when you connect it, you can, you know, one of the limits of such a small layout or limits of a module is, okay, well, where do you go? You know, how do you let your steam locomotive, you know, exercise itself a little bit? You know, Mm -hmm. what do you do if you like long trains? You know, are you, are you limited to just, you know, critters and uh, industrial trackage? Um, with a module, you're not, I mean, you, you hook it in and, and now all of a sudden you can get that big boy out and run it around the, uh, the layout, even if your portion of that layout is only, you know, one section of it. And I got to say that if I were, um, you know, one of the things I do think about a lot, maybe not the, uh, you know, the, the smaller layouts, but definitely starting smaller. If I were starting all over, knew nothing about anything and had this, uh, overwhelming amount of information that I've gleaned over the uh, the years kind of distracting me if I were just 
brand new in the hobby or one of the pieces of advice I would give somebody starting out brand new in the hobby is, is to start small, start very small, get something all the way up through every aspect um, of the hobby from the bench work to the wiring, to the track, to the scenery, to the details, find out what, what you enjoy, find out what you might need a little bit more work on and do that in a space that is manageable. And, and frankly, if it's something that you enjoy doing, like you were saying, you could take it with you. You know, you could start out earlier in your in your life, frankly, and knowing that no matter how mobile you are early in your career, even, you know, partway through your career, you'd be able to take it with you and you don't have to look toward retirement as being the start of the um, of the hobby for you. And unfortunately, I think we all know people that that they've done that and some of them haven't made it, frankly, Mm. and I don't mean to sound morbid, but Mm. that's just the reality. And, you know, the hobby is, you know, I'm I'm discovering, you know, even though I've uh, been in the hobby for a long time, I'm just now starting to get to some of what I'm finding out are the really fun parts of the hobby, like the scenery and the detailing and such. Like, oh, yeah, this is what they were all talking about when they were saying model railroading is fun. You know, it's not so much the, uh, the track, you know, it's not so much the wiring, it's not so much the bench work which a lot of people get a lot of practice with, but, uh, you know, detailing a scene, um, using all the great scenery products that there are out now, the static grass, you know, a lot of the, the new stuff is really amazing and you can have some great results with very little skill, which makes it also very helpful. I reflect on Matt Goodman. Matt Goodman built a shelf layout to get his hand laid track skills up to par, getting soldering together, this kind of stuff and used it really as a litmus test associated. I mean, I, I, he always had the plans for the larger layout, don't get me wrong. I met him maybe 2011, and uh, he had the big layout plans already. But he wanted to use the shelf layout as a way of just testing his skills and, in fact, honing his skills sufficient to build the larger layout. So I think it is interesting, the notion of the shelf layout, sometimes as a starter layout, as you said, and as Matt Goodman is a good example of, but also sometimes a way of, you know, getting out and, and meeting other folk. And I think what's interesting through this, you mentioned single industry layouts, and this is something we've talked about with people uh, periodically have called in. A full steel plant is quite overwhelming in size. In fact, it's a good-sized layout if done to scale. And we've had a, a few folk call in that have done steel layouts to scale. But also, you could do with industries, you could do various aspects of siding. Although Seth Newman, who's local to me, has quite an impressive layout, he uses industries relatively sparingly to give, you know, siding trackage and this kind of stuff rather than fully-fledged industries. So it's interesting, the possibilities here. And I think there's always been a movement for micro-layouts and layouts of a a very small and intricate size. Uh, But what we're increasingly seeing is, as you say, these, uh, you know, layouts that can either... The modules can be self-sustaining layouts or can be the start of the hobby. In terms of the show that you went to, Chris, did you see anything anything of exceptional interest, anything new, anything that surprised you at this particular show? Not really. Um, a, a lot of the, the same stuff I've been seeing, but I've been, I guess I've been paying attention to different stuff. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, there isn't, it wasn't anything really surprising. One, well, actually, one of the things that was surprising, it, and maybe I shouldn't be, but it was really neat to see more twenty-somethings and more young people than I remember seeing um, at past shows, and um, so that was kind of cool. But the uh, the products, I think, because I'm I'm moving and evolving into a different 
level of the hobby or different aspects of the hobby. I'm just looking at different things. You know, for the longest time, I would always go to the toward the books and the um, you know research materials, photographs, that sort of thing. And now I'm looking at scenery and structures, and you know, because now I need those things. And so it's it's funny because you know <laughs> they say you can't step in the same river twice. Well, you can't go to the same show twice sometimes too because. Each time you go, you're you're a little bit different in the hobby. You're at a different sp- um, in a different space or um, different place in the hobby, and so you're looking at different things. You know, a lot of the same vendors um, that I've seen there before. I wasn't looking for anything specific, but uh, still came away with um, like two bags of people. Um, so there was <laughs> this one guy that had uh, had um, people. I, I guess maybe he pulled it up, pulled them off of previous layouts or whatever, but they were all painted. But they were just in, you know, there were like a dozen of them or or 20 of them in a Ziploc bag. And they looked decent. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't at the level of Pricer or uh, Woodland Scenics, maybe. Maybe there were some of those mixed in. But, you know, for a few bucks, I was able to start getting people. I've never worried about people before <laughs> because I've never been at that point where I needed them. And so I got some of those. Um, I got a, um, a Jordan Models kit. I guess they went out of business some years ago. And um, got a Jordan Models uh, kit of uh, a 1940 Ford Coupe. My dad's got a, a 46 Ford, um, so and it's as close as I can find an HO scale. So I figured I'd get that and paint it up like his car. But um, you know, I'm just seeing different things and paying attention to different things. You know, now that I'm in a in a different place. Very cool. Very cool. Your people is a recurring topic on this podcast, which I like talking <laughs> about because I mean for the era that you're modeling you probably have some flexibility associated with the people on your layout but it is an interesting thing that if you're modeling a a very early era Mm. the people are critical in terms of setting it and you see now in the uk in particular people doing 3d printing i think they're stage theatrical folk because they have victorian you know people wearing victorian clothes and this kind Mm. of stuff and yeah, they actually uh, move through the various eras because the UK, the eras are based on you know, nationalization and then privatization and then collection and all this kind of stuff. So the various forms of dress, particularly the folks that are, you know, repairing track or on stations, you know, doing various, th- carrying baggage and stuff on stations, they are very well defined based on the uniforms that they wore at a particular time. So it's interesting, the change particularly with 3d printing now that there seem to be more people or more possibilities of people on layouts and what you seem to be describing is someone who's taken the people off their layout probably pre-painted in some regard and offering them in bags but uh yeah it is interesting the uh the return of people onto layouts because i think there was a period of time in this hobby where people just didn't put people on layouts so to speak and now i think it seems to be more revered and certainly i was um when i was in dc i was at uh, bernie kapinski's layout and the people are a majority of the layout in terms of just setting the flavor he has a um a civil war layout yep so the people are really critical to set the period so yeah interesting so in terms of the people that you picked up are they do they fit comfortably in your era are you going to have to do some modification have you looked at them sufficiently <laughs> i haven't looked at them sufficiently the it was there were a few bucks and they were already painted very I good them up. <laughs> a deal is a deal right <laughs> i figured um anything is going to look better than that uh twilight zone episode mm, um the zombie the, apocalypse where, yeah yeah where, well where the people are on, it was actually i forget the um the name of the uh, the episode, but it was actually has a, a train theme because these people get on 
it's a couple. They they had a hangover. They were on a bender in um, in Manhattan, and then they're going back to their home in New Rochelle. They're on the train, but there's nobody else on the train, and the train mm-hmm. keeps going in a circle. And they noticed that there was nobody in the neighborhood. There's no other people or anything. Well, it turns out they're on a a giant layout, you know, um, by some little girl alien out in outer space or something. But mm-hmm. um, but but the point being that you look around and it looks like so many people's layouts. Yes. <laughs> there's no but there's nobody there. Yes. So I wanted to um, avoid that look. So I figured any people is uh, is a good thing for now. Any people are good people. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Adams, always a pleasure chatting. Thank you for calling into Model Bra Radio. You know how we do things. If if something comes up, uh, please do jump back in. But always a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks so much, Tom. Have a good night. I'd like to welcome on Mike Slater. Mike, as it's getting a little cooler, are you still passionate about the traction stuff? Any chance of uh, Lionel creeping back into your hobby time? What's going on with your model railroading hobby? Well, uh, still doing a little bit of traction modeling. Uh, actually working on a few models that um, I've kind of had uh, mothballed away in the uh, the collection of models. And But uh, lately it's been kind of taking a, a back seat uh, to some uh, World War II uh, troop train modeling that Ooh. I've been doing in three-rail O-scale. Wonderful. Wonderful. So fitting in a little bit with what we were discussing uh, with Chris Adams associated with historical modeling, these troop trains, I see them actually at this time of year because I'm, you know, sent periodicals that say, I, I guess they know that I, they probably combine the fact that I have World War II interests and well, railroading interests. And they're like, aha, we're going to pitch this guy in order to buy this stuff. Are these historical era relevant to these like 1950s models when were these models produced uh, well the the models uh which i've also built a, a troop train in, in ho scale the same type of train mm-hmm. uh the ho scale um the models are made by uh, walt and of course in the um the three rail old gauge or two rail old gauge the models originally were made by a company called weaver oh okay. and, weaver. and when weaver went out of business atlas bought the tooling for the, uh, the, basically it was kind of equivalent to like a 50 foot box car, if you mm-hmm. can imagine that. And the Pullman car company made these cars, uh, so that they could a, uh, haul the, the troops across country to the different military bases or, or military ports during World War, World War II. And then the idea was that after the World War, uh, or after the war, they could be converted into, uh, express uh, boxcars for passenger service or for any type of use that the railroad could possibly use for the cars. Uh, some some were converted to, to boxcars, some were converted to, to refrigerator cars, and then others were converted just for uh, maintenance away uh, bunk cars for the track gangs to work on the tracking or the tracks. Certainly, but as troop trains, they would have carried service people from all over... The country to various ports, I'm assuming, uh, to, to ship them out. And yep. obviously, for the US, the conflicts were both in Europe and the Pacific. So both yep. coasts were, you know, people needed to move from both co- to both coasts relatively quickly. It's an interesting Correct. theme because certainly it, it covers two of my passions uh, associated with, you know, Second World War history and also model rail. And I had an opportunity to see a layout in New Jersey 
that modelled, I think, 1944, and troop trains were a considerable portion of the layout in terms of just being part of, um, you know, part of the timetable. They had to have troop trains at various times. For your particular interest in troop trains, is this something that you would take to a show, or is this just something that you maintain for your personal collection? Um, it probably would be kind of a little bit of both. The uh, um, from the information that I've gathered with the uh, the typical World War II tr- uh, troop cars, you'd have uh, a section would consist of typically a baggage car, uh, a troop kitchen car, and six sleeping cars. Either six of the what we'll kind of call the the fifty foot uh, box car type uh, looking uh, troop sleeper. Uh, type car, or it could even been a, a heavyweight uh, Pullman sleeping car from the time period. Mm. Um, one of the things that I just recently discovered while just googling for information on on the the internet was that uh, the Illinois one of the Illinois universities I believe has a large collection of the blueprints from the Pullman Car Company, mm. and uh, of course when you start looking diving into the information you start discovering things that you didn't you never knew even existed and one of the things that i discovered was it appeared pullman was converting some of their older passenger cars that they either built for the railroads or were older sleeping cars and they basically gutted the interiors out uh minus the the bathrooms on either end of the cars and then uh they um put in the the bunk beds inside the cars for for the troops to sleep in while they were going cross-country. My understanding of the Second World War and trains, so obviously hospital trains were a critical thing as well, right, to take injured uh, service people. But I'm not clear of the rules either in North America or Europe associated with combining troop trains with hospital trains in the U.S., was this an allowed thing? Could you have troop trains that also had hospital carriages connected to them? I, I, I believe probably as you get later on into the war while you're – so you could transport the injured mm-hmm. uh, troops back to their, their home territories in the nation or even to different military hospitals, it probably would have occurred uh, probably at startup of, of the, uh, the World War. Uh, probably you wouldn't have seen that as much, but they did have – uh, special uh, troop uh, uh, hospital cars. Of course, they would have had like a baggage car door on one end so that they could have easily brought in the uh, stretchers of the Certainly. injured troops. Certainly. Uh, I think in on the mainland in Europe, it would have made some sense for them to be separate trains just because there are various rules of law or rules of war, more importantly, associated with like aircraft strafing and this kind of stuff. I'm wondering, we probably have scholars of this light on listen to this podcast. So if you know this, please get in contact because I find it fascinating that um, maybe these these different kinds of, uh, you know, transports would have to be uh, delimited by whether or not they were hospital purposes or just regular troop trains. I know I've read accounts of people in hospital cars that were strafed by planes, but my understanding is probably that that was minimized or tried to be minimized with markings and you know there of course war gives a wide variety of different accounts associated with these things but yeah it is fascinating to think of the volume of people that just needed to be 
moved in this circumstance. I mean, particularly as the war concluded in Europe and moved to the Pacific, there would have been hundreds of thousands of men that had to cross uh, over. I mean, some of them went by a some of them went via boat where they didn't even come back to the U.S. And I I know this because I have great uncles who fought in Europe and then were transported by ship and actually went to New York and then went back. Um, so I've got some kind of personal knowledge of this as well. But a fascinating period of time to uh, be modelling. And in terms of these cars, you, you said that they're still commercially available. They're still, obviously, they have a, a perennial interest, basically, in modelling. I was curious, because obviously these kind of trains and, you know, the, the manufacture of these kind of train kits... Uh, or, you know, ready to run, what have you, existed from the conclusion of the Second World War through to the present day. So I'm sure, I mean, in your knowledge of Lionel, did Lionel make these kind of cars for trains in the 1950s to model the Second World War period? Were there, I mean, has there been a continuous run of these cars through various manufacturers since that period of time? Um, as far as with Lionel, they would have never really done anything I think Lionel's main focus was always kind of the peacetime type trains until the 1960s when you got into the um, the space race. And then mm. Lionel did all kinds of uh, different uh, satellite satellite launching cars or, <laughs> or missile launching cars or stuff like that. But um, as far as Lionel's focus during the, uh, the, the post-war period, it was more or less – the typical steam engine that you would see on the track, the typical boxcar, gondola, tank car, nothing really uh, military-related. You know, there were a few exceptions where they did do a little industrial-type switching locomotive that was uh, painted up for, like, the U.S. Navy or mm-hmm. or one of them that was painted up in the U.S. Marine Corps in the 1950s. But uh, that was kind of out of the norm Interesting. Uh, yeah. of the type of equipment. But there were uh, craftsman kits um, I believe uh, one might have been by the name of called uh, Grace Line. I believe they made troop cars in both HO and in an old scale where they were kind of a, a pressed cardboard type side with uh, wooden and die cast metal uh, details and stuff like that. Interesting, interesting. So the lack of Lionel for wartime was a choice that they made, I'm assuming. I mean, you seem to say this with a certain degree of surety that Lionel didn't manufacture anything associated with military until the 1960s, aside from the small... But, I mean, that's got to be a choice, right? The American Flyer made cars through that period of time, didn't they? Or or did both manufacturers decide just not to cover that period? Basically, your your three major uh, toy train manufacturers from that, you know, the 1950s time period Mm -hmm. would have been uh, Marks, uh, Lionel, and American Flyer. And Marx probably was the one that dabbled a little bit more in the military type mm-hmm. uh, trains uh, than either American Flyer or Lionel would have. Of course, American Flyer kind of joined with the the military, you know, the missile launching cars, exploding box cars mm-hmm. in the 1960s, like Lionel did, just because they needed to compete against the toy aspect of, of the, the model railroading hobby. But uh, Marx, they had, uh, I know, a tin lithographed um, troop train that would have been probably close to the time period of either post or pre-World War II time period. I would probably say more of the, the post-World uh, War II time period mm. than, than pre. Interesting. Interesting. 
I guess I've tracked the toy soldier side of this thing. And it's always fascinated me the periods of time where you can't get toy soldiers that are equivalent to the current conflicts. Yeah. And I think that is very much a, a political choice by toy manufacturers to present, I mean, this is the rise of G.I. Joe fundamentally through <laughs> the 1960s, yeah. to create a way of um, shielding children, I guess, from the aspects of conflict that um, no doubt haunt their parents and these kind of things. So it is fascinating because certainly when I marketed uh, World War II troop trains and they do German trains and armoured trains, it is a smaller manufacturer. It's not a standard manufacturer and they seem to specialise in you know, these kind of military model rail. But the main you know, model rail companies, as you know, seem to avoid this this whole topic, which is quite curious because it strikes me that a lot of folks in the model railroading hobby have gotten to the model railroading hobby through military modeling. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah. Later. yeah. The, the whole entire thing when, when Walters initially came out with their model of troop car, the troop sleepers, probably close to 15 years ago, they came out with the model, but there was really no information at the time on how, how these trains operated or how, how the typical consist was. And I ended up stumbling across a, uh, one of the federal uh, transportation agencies where they have all the train derailments mm -hmm. listed on there. I ended up finding a, a troop train derailment that occurred in Kentucky during the World War II time period. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got the information of, of six sleepers, the one baggage car and the mm -hmm. one kitchen car. And that was uh, considered to be like a three-section uh, troop train. So you had three baggages, you know, three the uh, kitchen cars, and then of course the uh, just doing the quick math in my my head, the <laughs> uh, the eighteen uh, troop sleeping cars in in the consist. Mm. Uh, mm. Of course, there were there were um, injuries and fatalities within that uh, derailment. But now, of course, there's a, a web page dedicated to that troop train derailment. And I believe Bernie's um, book, uh, I think, just uh, kind of covered the the typical consist, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, with the World War II troop trains. But um, it hasn't been till really more recent, probably within the past five to seven years, where this information is kind of more mainstream uh, on the trains. Certainly, certainly, it can't be understated the impact that the Second World War had on uh, a variety of folk, and I think. Certainly, particularly because trains were used in a variety of different ways in the Second World War, uh, particularly associated with the transportation of humans not um, under their wills and these kind of things, that it is understandable why um, train manufacturers would avoid this particular topic. So, yeah, it is interesting. So, in terms of actually, are you getting together a full consist? Is that your plan, Mike Slater? Uh, what, what are you working on? Well, it, initially, I have built up uh two two sections mm -hmm. and then of course you know how evil manufacturers come out with a new set of car numbers mm. so the the third section kind of just magically started to materialize on on the three-wheel old gauge train and of course the the ho train that's also a three section and i'll probably need to call it quits on on a three section uh, troop train uh just had to, I'd have to double check with some of the steamers I have and, and made by Lionel what could actually pull a, a consist that's going to be uh, over 20 cars if I decided to run the full length. Mm. Yes. 
Very interesting, Mike Slater. Yeah. Very interesting. Yes, I think the history aspect of this thing is really very fascinating. And certainly, as you note, Bernie is a star in the hobby associated with actually getting this stuff documented and out and published. Uh, but I think increasingly people are going to look to military model railroading as a means of uh, exploring the hobby and you know dealing with some very interesting subjects. And certainly when I saw it in layout form, uh, 1944 was so visceral to me because of my interest in, obviously, Second World War history as well. So, yeah, no, it's an interesting combination. And thank you very much for talking about it today, Mike. Yeah, not a problem. Anytime, Tom. I'd like to welcome on a gentleman who, I think by his own calculation, said he hadn't called into Model Rail Radio for an absurd length of time. Dave Falkenberg, how are you? I'm very busy at work. Very good. But uh, the big difference is is that i was letting it get into my hobby time so yes uh, a couple months ago i just said okay i'm gonna spend an hour doing model trains every day and um it's been a lot better before before we do some deconstruction here we had a new listener that requested you might have heard the recent shows you may not have requested that each new caller or a new caller after a recent period of time introduces their broad interest in the model railroading hobby so dave falkenberg how would you introduce yourself in the model railroading hobby? Okay, let's see. I am a rubber gauger mm-hmm. who lives in the Bay Area in California and works for a large fruit-flavored computer company during mm-hmm. the day. I have been into model railroading since I was about four. Uh, I'm significantly older than that right now. And I initially got back into the hobby uh, because of DCC. I have currently gone on a kick... Uh, weathering cars mm-hmm. uh, with many other distractions in the middle. Mm-hmm. I have N scale, HO, G scale. I have gotten rid of most of my O scale narrow gauge kits that I will never build. But other than that, uh, I have a short attention span, as you can probably tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the N scale pier was a favorite of mine. I'm not sure what happened to that. But... It is sitting in the garage, still under construction. Very um, good. That was what triggered. When I, when I was uh, cleaning up the hobby room, I had discovered that I hadn't worked on it since late 2015. Mm. And that was a wake-up call as uh, 2018 was kicking over uh, last New Year's. Um, I haven't spent a great deal of time on that. Um, I made it a point to get some projects completed and build a small switching layout. So... Um, that's what I'm doing right now. And eventually, the dock will turn into a Fremo N module. Mm. Have you, in your model railroad wanderings, ever been to Craig Biscay's lab? I have not. I have, I would I have actually not been to that part of the world in a very long time. I, I went to New York City, but mm-hmm. uh, not to that, that particular neck of the woods. It's actually remarkably close to New York City. We went to, to Mawa and spent a day in New York, but basically came back through Craig Biscoe's part of the world to go from New York to Mawa. Um, Craig has a amazing dock scene, which is the kind of central part of his layout. Uh, and yes. he had a number of, the, a, a number of similar stories, even though he models in HO to your N scale dock circumstance, particularly associated with the, they're called piling. What are they called? Pylons? The, the, the pilings. Yes. He, he did his, 
he did his pilings in the scenery mm-hmm. uh, and and then um poured his water yes he has a he has a he has a very funny story about the water uh i think he can probably uh he's supposed to be calling it sometime but yes it is a funny okay. story associated i don't know if you, i heard it i heard it in i heard it in portland in 2015 very good and it involved dave frary and one of his uh then regulars mm. who yeah the punchline is you can't over mix it mm. so uh in in response to envirotech so maybe maybe he'll tell the story but most certainly it was uh yeah. made me laugh out loud in portland yeah to be on the loud and to hear the story indicated very greatly how potentially aerated you may not be familiar with the rave culture but they have these foam machines which just create Uh vast quantities of foam and can fill rooms almost instantly with foam which is just what they do i kind of imagined that in model railroading terms when he told me that story and to actually be physically in the layout as he was telling it and i had heard it previously as well i think i'd heard of one of the podcasts maybe a couple of podcasts he told the story previously but yeah to actually be at his layout and I've got to say, if anyone is going through New York and that area, both Dave Ramos and Craig Biscoe's layouts are two must-see layouts and very, very different, yeah. but uh, just highlights of my past uh, you know, year in the hobby to actually spend time with both those gentlemen in their layout. So, yeah, when I saw his layout, it immediately made me think of your uh, N-scale uh, doc and... Uh, Wondered what had happened to it. So thank you very much for the update. In terms- yeah, it's, it's, it's still there, but yeah. uh, not done yet. <laughs> very good. Very good. In terms of the weathering of cars, this is a beautiful way to take the hobby to Facebook. And I've thoroughly yeah. enjoyed the photos that you've posted so far. Are you doing this for Silicon Valley lines? Are you doing this for your own personal amusement? Uh, this what, is, this is all for the N-scale shelf layout. So all those oh. models I've been posting was quite funny because the guys at Silicon Valley lines are, you should post those on the club layout. And mm-hmm. I was like, None of the stuff I'm posting is HO. <laughs> so what I discovered is, is that a 40 foot or 50 foot boxcar in N scale is a good, you know, one evening project. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a, it's not a great deal of paint and the AK products and the Vallejo products and the MIG products are, are pretty darn amazing. Certainly. And, uh, and it doesn't take long for it to dry because you're not putting on a ton. I mean, mm-hmm. none of the stuff I'm doing even is involving an airbrush. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, I guess some people enjoy painting figures. I have been scouring Facebook, looking for photographs of, of rail cars that are close to the things that I have in my personal hobby shop. And I've been doing, doing a lot of weathering. The big thing is, is understanding just, um, what the eras, because, Mm -hmm. uh, I started this because I, I kind of impulse bought a bunch of, Railbox X Railbox cars, and uh, they had ghost lettering on them, and I was like, "Oh, those are too cool to just let sit there." I did a couple washes on them, and I was like, "Wow, that came out better than I expected." And then I was then tempted to, well, maybe I should go get a can of dull coat or gloss coat and a can of dull coat and some graffiti decals, and that's what started it. And I was originally doing them for a friend's layout. And then lately, I've been kind of going back. So I've been doing lots of cars from the 60s, late 50s and uh, and 60s, which, which mm-hmm. means more graffiti decals, but uh, a lot more soot. It's interesting, actually. My only rail fanning experience in Vegas, I filmed a train 
going past with a series of boxcars, it was moving sufficiently slowly that I could actually get the, uh, the numbers off the boxcars. And I did a Google search and I realized that actually there are rail fanning archives that contain photographs of almost every boxcar that is in circulation in the U.S. Yeah, it's ab- absolutely crazy. If it's got any sort of decent graffiti on it, too, there are people who are basically tracking them down and, and documenting them. I know that when Joe D'Amato does his, they do their weathered cars for microtrains, he oftentimes will end up getting people send him a picture and then they decide whether or not they're going to produce it. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And there are lots of different stylistic things. No matter what you think about graffiti and all this other stuff, there are some definite t- taggers slash graffiti folks who... Um, there are region, regions where they tag cars and then you can kind of track where a car has been uh, by, you know, oh, this car probably sat near Taylor Yard for too long or uh, et cetera, or sat in, in New Jersey for some time. You know, it's it's pretty interesting. Yes, I thought when you mentioned, I mean, Facebook as a resource is wonderful for many things, but it's these kind of obsessive hobbyist aspects of the internet. It is interesting in forcing the work-life balance aspect and using the hobby as a means of doing that and certainly a number of the folk that i meet as i record this podcast say to me very centrally i mean people that work in you know circumstances such as yourself and occasionally such as myself that the hobby is in many regards a lifesaver it's a refocusing it's a ability to move one's eyes down to a different scale to focus one's mind on a different thing and I think that aspect of the hobby is rarely talked about, but one when I talk to folks such as yourself, remind me how important this hobby is as a means of just detoxing. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, it's a big deal. I've been under a lot of stress at work. And uh, what I've been doing is once the rest of the family goes to bed, I can go pick up a little tiny project. Um, N-Scale's great in that you can hold it in one hand and kind of work with the brush in, in your other hand. Um, and uh, And nothing is... Uh, you know, doing the whole side of the car takes a few minutes and then you're waiting and then waiting, you know, 20 minutes or so before you can work on the other side of the car isn't, isn't uh, a a bad thing. It's very meditative Mm. because you're not doing, you know, there's nothing that's trying. My work is all about figuring out how to make a bunch of people work together that all are, have their own agendas and have an insane schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, there's absolutely none of that when I'm weathering a car. It's like, oh, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. And there is not, I mean, yeah, you can you can screw up, but the thing that I've learned also by doing some practice is almost anything you screw up, you can fix or, or make use of. So Certainly, um, certainly. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely fun and a uh, 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 welcome stress relief. Speaking of such, one of the things that I haven't been able to get back into, thanks to the stuff that I do, is the Silicon Valley lines. Recent mm-hmm. open house, a bunch of stuff, a whole series of things have been going on. It seems like probably at least two years, although I send my, my dues every paycheck, I have lost contact with the Silicon Valley lines, aside from occasional email updates on the mailing list and things like that. What has been going on with the Silicon Valley lines of late? Oh boy. Um, we did just have our open house uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, we are now in our Christmas shutdown. This is the time of the year that we 
start doing things like um, pulling out wiring under the layout and uh, try to complete all these projects. Um, since every month we, we have this drumbeat of operations, the fourth Friday of every month, mm-hmm. it means that there's one, 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 uh, one Friday night that is a business meeting and one Friday night that is an operating session, one Friday night that is a setup for that operating session. And there's basically a single night every month on average to get work done. Um, with people who head out of town and other things, um, it became kind of a tradition that after Thanksgiving, we would um, shut the layout down and go do crazy things. So one year we put in a lighting system for mm-hmm. the layout. Um, another year we ripped out all the button control panels and put in iPads to control everything. Um, this year is uh, trying to finish that job. So we've, we've got a bunch of infrastructure and extra wire under the layout that is a big hairy mess. So in a couple of areas of the layout, we're, we're hoping to remove excess wire and simplify. Um, for the last year, there has been a group of people who have been breaking the layout into, a, into detection blocks in preparation for signals, but it's, it's, it's slow going because we find that when we cut gaps, um, we find out um, how much of the layout was fed from a set of stray feeders 40 feet away. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, and doing it, doing it once a week, as opposed to, um, you know, in an unbroken um, couple hours sprints when you're not tired um, is challenging. So one of the things we do is we will do a work day, uh, during the week when we're all on, on uh, holiday at, at Christmas time. So, yeah, we're looking forward to that. So hopefully we'll get some of the stuff uh, that we've been working on working again. Um, we have bay rails coming up mm-hmm. in the spring. And so we're going to be hosting an operating system, operating session for that. And we'd really like to have more detection up and running um, so that our guest dispatcher uh, can uh, manage meets and trains and things. So. We have been in various spots of the layout. We've put in some of these stand-in signals. So mm-hmm. Seth Newman and Model Railroad Control Systems sells uh, one of the other members. And basically for his N-scale layout, he was building little stand-in signals with SMT LEDs on them. And he realized that he was going to spend a small fortune building signals. So he crafted up a bunch of stand-in signals. Um, Seth saw them and immediately um, realized he had a product to sell. So, um, John started, uh, making those available to Seth to sell and they're on the MRCS website and, uh, they're cute. They're little, um, they're a little bit like the Digitrax, uh, signals that, uh, AJ Erwin, uh, sold mm-hmm. where they have, um, LED, surface mount LEDs and headers on them. But, uh, yeah, the, these are pre-soldered LEDs and then you have to attach wires. So, um, they're good because we can put in signaling or, you know, a buck or two per mask or two, two bucks a mask or three bucks a mask, as opposed to the standard 30 bucks. So, and then the idea is to go as, as you're finishing an area, you can go put in better, more expensive signals. Certainly. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's getting there. I mean, signaling has been a, a never ending project. I think we were starting the whole project in 2012 and it's uh, five years later and I think we have three masts up at one end of one siding. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it, but the whole between various, uh, uh, club members having kids that have gotten older, 
and uh, needing a lot more help with homework and things, the 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 amount of time people are spending is it gets impacted. So, an interesting shared experience. In our case, it was because through the electrical work, there were lots of holes cut into the house. But for you guys, I think it's a perennial thing. The what would one call it? Spartan Keys is the area that both my house and Silicon Valley lines inhabit. The rodent infestation recently has been something that we've been fighting. Even though we own cats, mysteriously they're not ratters or rodent chasers. Yeah, we had we had some rats show up too, so mm. we uh, we're dealing with that with the landlord um, to set out some traps and things. But, yes. uh, yeah, there's definitely been. With the drought and then the rain, it has been, and the fire. I think maybe the smoke caused yes. a lot of those little critters to go inside to try to find things to eat. Believe me. So, in our case, it was because our electrician cut beautiful rat-sized big, big holes, holes in the side of the house. And <laughs> yeah. left with such speed, certainly in our guest house, which is where the, the problem really is. That yeah, yeah, the holes are still there, so obviously they're going to be coming in through the smoke and the well. You rain could just run stuff. double track right through it, then. That's then the plan. Yeah, probably, probably big enough for for G scale, something like that. Yeah, or just yeah. maintain a cat in every room. That's the plan. Anyway, yeah. So yes, I'm too. I'm uh, dealing with poisons that I thought I never would use, but apparently you have to in these circumstances. So yes, a familiar aspect to my particular part of the world, which is also. Cohabited by Silicon Valley Lands. Dave, yep. it's a real pleasure to talk to you. I'm glad you've been able to, uh, well, I mean, with the smoke in the air and these kind of things, there are a whole series of metaphors one could use. But that, glad... that really was it. I mean, really, there was nothing else to do, and I was absolutely stir-crazy. Yes. couldn't do anything outside for about nine days. It was absolutely that's, insane. That's when I started weathering. Yeah, I, Murph, Murph similarly was painting Warhammer figures up in, uh, oh, in his good. neck of the woods. Very good. I'll need, to, yeah. I'll need to make contact with him, because he's another one that's escaped. In fact, the last time we've got Jim Gifford on, the last time I saw Murph was uh, when Jim Gifford was in town, which was well more than two years ago now. So just an yeah. obscenely long amount of time since I've been able to well, catch up with well, you. Well, if you can break yourself away from work, they're having, we're having a uh, SVL DCC lunch get together at, at Blocker's house uh, coming up. Okay. So check, check your email. I think okay. it'll be on the 8th, but I'm not sure. Okay. I, unfortunately, Things don't shut down for us until well after then. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Kind of like how Friday's your Monday. <laughs> well, Thursday's become my Friday's become my... Uh, yeah, there are far too many days that are just far too much like hell. Yeah, so, <laughs> the sun never sets on the on the Empire of video streaming. Yeah, something like that. So. In any case, Dave Fulkenberg, a real pleasure to have the chance to catch up. Please send on my regards. Also... If he's been painting Warhammer figures, he needs to get in contact with me anyway. So I'm, I'm definitely going to email him after the fact and make sure that I, uh, yeah, get communicating with him again because I'm actually surrounded by a lot of his old uh, Warhammer detritus that he passed on to me, and I've pulled out of the attic and dusted off just to look through. So, all right, but he's time. he's he's uh, he's had a relapse of Warhammer. So very good, very good. All right, the smoke was genuinely horrible, so it's glad that we're all out of it. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, Dave Falkenberg. Thank you for calling in. Bye. I'd like to welcome back on Jim Gifford. Jim, summer months are coming. Things are heating up in Australia. What's going on with your model railroading hobby? I just got my uh, last operating session coming up on on Monday. And... uh, We've rearranged the paperwork yet again, mm-hmm. and 
hopefully we're we're probably about ninety eight percent this time. Very good. <laughs> and uh, we've learnt this year that we need a more staging area, a more car storage area in the main yard. So uh, what was the coach yard is now storage sidings. Um, and we've been decreasing the amount of yard work mm-hmm. and increasing the main line running. Wonderful. And, and that's um, so now if you if you come over, you probably get uh, at least one train to run that runs for about 25 minutes to go through the system. Wonderful. So I've um, changed things a little bit. The uh, the local that you uh, ran mm-hmm. uh, here, uh, that will run again on Monday. Um I think that's probably going to run four or five sessions out of the eight sessions to a full cycle. But, um, yeah, it's, um, last month was a busy month operating. I think it was five sessions, I think, for the month. One time we went to Wayne's a couple of times. And, Certainly. And Don's and Roscoe's actually starting to get there now. Ooh, um, very good. Very good. And, yeah, we're actually looking as a group as to whether we can do some work to improve his control panels mm-hmm. and make it a bit easier to use. Um, we've got him thinking about an operating regime. Mm-hmm. I've, I've actually done a, um, a track plan for him, a schematic, and uh, so he can now start naming every place on his layout. And, uh, and then we've asked him to think about what does he really want to run. And um, I guess I'll... I'll document his operating system for him over time. Certainly. and Because uh, his computer skills in in database or spreadsheeting is um, uh, nearly non-existent, so I'll have to do it for him. <laughs> now, one of my favourite photos, which I think was the leader on your monthly update, was your granddaughter operating on your layout. Now, this is a really important thing. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, well, both, both my granddaughters... Uh, a bit over a week ago, probably a fortnight now, uh, had their first session where they were actually given a throttle to run something. <laughs> so, so of course, they got a shunter, which was uh, limited to 25 mile an hour. Mm-hmm. The eldest one has been back and uh, since then. She was here, she was a bit off colour. So uh, we had her one day this week and she came down and ran another one. Wonderful. So, uh, and she's actually got the hang of starting and stopping now. Great. So, so that's really good. The young, the young one still doesn't understand where the centre of a knob is. Mm-hmm. It's either full male, full the other. Yes, <laughs> but uh, but that that's really good. She um, she was able to actually attach to a string of cars and take the take the cars around the layout and put them back where she came from. Wonderful to place, sort of thing. Yeah, that was a, it's a nice experience, and um, and you know that. But the video of her when she ran her first one running up there and jumping up and down, you know, that was, it was cute. Yeah, certainly, <laughs> certainly. But these um, are important memories, right? These are important things to distill early on. Exactly. Yeah, so I, uh, I've been working on lighting up the loco servicing shed, you know, the big shed at the mm-hmm. front was a bit dark looking. Since we put the proper lighting in, you can't see, you know, highlighting around the room, you can't see in there. So I've just put some... Some strip leads in there, mm-hmm. and uh, got that working, and build up a uh, an Arduino to do the the welding bit as per Jeff Bunza's stuff. But 
seeing as it's such a big shop, I did two welding days. So mm. and, uh, just tricked up the code so it's a little bit, bit more random. And uh, yeah, so see what the boys say on Monday when they come because they've been they've been at me for about twelve months. You should put lights in here. Oh yeah, yeah. But BJ glued down the roof so well, I actually had to go through and and, and um, cut through some of the joints on one end and then mm. gradually get it cut. <laughs> Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Yeah, a bit of fair bit going on. Trying, um, what else they've done? Oh, that's right. I've been having trouble with QSI decoders for years. One of the very first locos I got, CCC locos, was a, uh, a GP9 in Black Widow. Mm-hmm. It had a, I think it's QSI version 6, and they kept losing it to the point where it got taken off the layout and put on a shelf. <laughs> uh, actually, Ripped that out and completely gutted it. And mm-hmm. today, uh, I, when I was at the Narragase Convention last year, I got a uh, uh, a tsunami one sellout just as they were coming into that side. It's an AT board, and I'd, I'd never done an AT board before. I always done the the, uh, the wide version rather than the board version. But mm-hmm. anyway, put it in; it worked fine. It's, um, it runs a lot better now. Wonderful. So. Um, yeah, yeah, we've been we've been fairly busy. We've got our Christmas break up on thirteenth of December, and we're all going out. Twenty two of us going to dinner, so it's not bad for our little group, an operating group. <laughs> it has progressively grown. I mean, obviously, you've lost a couple in number, but certainly, yes, I was thoroughly impressed when I came and uh, and saw your crew last time. How many new folk you've uh, been able to pull in? So yeah, yeah, it's nice. You know, we're trying to improve our operations. So. Um, we're lucky we've got uh, you know, a couple of Peters, one from the Nulunga Club and one who we met through the NRMA stuff, and uh, he's got an ON30 layered up in the hill. Yeah, they've both been coming along to operating, and uh, it's been good. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Jim, always a pleasure catching up with you. Certainly, uh, I reflect fondly on my trips to your part of the world and your trip to this part of the world, and um, yeah, I... The plan is to get back to Australia end of next year, but there might be some interesting news which would stop that from happening. Uh, but more on that as it comes up. But yeah, certainly uh, Michelle and I do intend to come to your part of the world, but there may be something that pulls us away. So more in the next year on that. But always a pleasure catching up with you. And please pass on my warmest regards to all your crew, Roscoe in particular. Yes. I, uh, I certainly will. Always enjoy uh, catching up with them when I have a chance. So thank you for calling in. Okay, thanks, Tom. I would like to welcome on Don Thompson. Don, as this is your first time calling into Model Rail Radio, would you like to introduce your Model Rail Rating interests? I am working on a little 4x6 HO layout um, set in your typical 50s set in a fictional fictional town called Stanford, somewhere between Colfax and Truckee, mm. over the Donner Pass line. Wonderful. Know that area very well. So what yes. what time period are you going to be modeling it in? You know, transition-ish, 50s. Not so much that I actually care to run steam, but uh, being such a small layout, I feel like 40-foot um, rolling stock is appropriate for, for the curves and such to look good, so... I thought, well, that's a good time period, and there's certainly lots of uh, product available. And also for that area, the time of year is critical as well, because the scenery changes dramatically. 
through the yes. year. What time of year are you modeling? I'm imagining uh, summer-ish, maybe towards fall, but I, I don't want to go towards snow because, boy, that's a real commitment. Yeah, no, most definitely. I think that would be a fascinating layout if you did model it in snow. It would be. Maybe someday I'd make that transition if I got bored. You know? Yes. And in terms of the industries and stuff, there's, there's a lot of really quite interesting stuff going on in that area. What kind of industries are you going to put on your lab? Yes, well, mainly, what, sort of the main driver for the town, I've decided, will be dairy. Mm. There's actually an awful lot of dairy production. They would summer the cattle up there and produce you know, lots of butter and things for California. And so I think that could be a nice little industry to have there, along with your typical... Um, you know, an oil dealer and things like that, just to, to mix it up. Mm. Are you based in Northern California or, or the Reno area? Are you based locally? I, I'm I'm pretty local. I'm in Roseville. Oh, okay, cool. cool. I actually had, inten- I don't know if you remember this, but we had intended to try and meet up at a San Jose show a year or two ago and didn't quite, we didn't connect. But. Yeah, I think we missed each other by, yeah, I, can't, I recall that circumstance i recall uh, those shows are so depressing i have a finite <laughs> amount of time that i can actually spend looking at 140 dollar you know 30 year old locomotives i really yes uh, i've got a limited amount of time that i i, I try hard but no mm-hmm. and yes oh, interesting so in terms of your yes. local area are you involved in any of the local i mean if based on what you're modeling are you involved with any of the local clubs or anything like that uh- not yet, not yet. I religiously attend the the local you know international rail fair that comes through Roseville every year, and they their the club is right there on the grounds, and they always have an open house. This year it was quite fun because both my kids, nine and eleven, were with me, and they had just installed a little switching layout in addition to their main mm-hmm. large regional layout, and they both took throttle and did quite well. And, you know, could uh, stop the cars on the decoupler and, and make switching moves. It, it was really a lot of fun. So I imagine as time becomes more more available to me that I, I'll probably get involved in that group also. Um, my own layout is just starting. Maybe a third of the track work is done. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine in the future I'll, I want to get involved in that. Um, right now my, my main hobbies other than railroading are uh, – Boy Scouts, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm quite busy uh, being a leader there and playing ukulele. So those Wonderful. are my three. I decided I, I'm a man of many, many hobbies, but I had to just boil it down to three. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Yes, it's a plight. It's a plight. Of, of, uh, yes. So the dairy industry in that part of the world, obviously, are you going to just do the actual kind of milking to milk or are you going to do butter or are these kind of things part of the dairy industry? Um, I don't have a lot of room, so probably just a simple creamery that would collect milk from the region and turn that into a product and ship it out by rail. Wonderful. And any other, are you doing timber or anything else that would be? I may, I may do timber. By the fifties, I think that was, a little bit played out mm-hmm. on the way out. Yes. Yeah. But I, I may, I haven't completely uh, devoted all of my sightings to, to industry yet. So I'm still, I'm still most designing. And in terms of Truckee, I mean, I've been through Truckee by train probably more times than I can count, at least on one hand, it mm-hmm. is such an iconic area. Yes. And the rail around it is so 
I mean, if people hadn't had the opportunity to go through it, it is like uh, almost it's cliche worthy in terms of how kind of rustic you think of the Sierras, you think of you know the trees and this kind of stuff. That's exactly Truckee as you go through. Yes, yes, that is exactly the the feel of Truckee. That initially, when I was imagining this thing, I wanted to do Truckee, and I try, but I don't have a lot of space to work with and I, I couldn't figure out how to really do it justice I'm like well okay I don't have to do Truckee but something really inspired by that and, and giving that feel yeah no I've done it under snow a couple of times and that's why I asked if you were modeling that period because <laughs> that is uh, aesthetically it's amazing and the snowdrift can be quite substantial um, oh, yes it, it's really funny particularly when we my wife and I did a cross-country road trip I don't think we went, maybe we did go through Truckee for that. Um, but it's hard to go from relatively comfortable Bay Area temperatures and then be under a couple of feet of snow almost instantly. I mean, it is very mm-hmm. surreal to go up through the, uh, the Sierras and hit that weather condition when you've literally had blue skies and sunshine, um, only a couple of hours before. So yeah, it is very interesting. The, the weather that the Sierras creates just for itself, which is obviously why historically it was just such an amazing and still has a good quantity of timber up there fascinating fascinating layout Tom. so in terms of uh in terms of modern you said you're about a third of the way with the track currently you've got various plans what's your intentions in the next six months to a year all right well i'm i'm a, well, just on the cusp this evening i was actually working on it uh finishing up my first structure mm-hmm. first structure i built in you know 30 years since i was a kid um so and one of those just sort of the iconic row of shops like right there on Donner Pass Road kind of building. Um, so I imagine I'll have a few more structures done. The track will be done. And it, it's kind of a divided layout with a you know, mountain in the middle, a hill behind Truckee, if you will. So I, I'll be starting there in the center. So I, ho- I hope to at least get started on that, uh, that piece, that, that piece of scenery and then work my way out with the town and then scenicing the track that's surrounding the thing. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, as you go, please update photos on the Model Rail Radio Facebook page because uh, certainly it's a very iconic part of California and one that I've been through many times and have fond memories of. So it'd be wonderful to see how you execute it in Model Rail form. I look forward to it. And thank you very much for calling in for the first time. Hopefully this experience has not been too scary and, uh, I'm always really looking forward to talking to new callers, and you're a familiar name who, yes, as, as you say, we had some interaction maybe four years ago now. Yes. Oh, so, gosh, was it that long ago? But it, yes. Yes. So, but yes, okay. not at all. Not, not, a, not a problem at all. Uh, just happened to work out tonight. The other half happens to be out, and I've got mm-hmm. some time. And, oh, I can call in. That's great. Wonderful. I'm loving the frequency of the shows. This has oh, been a real you. treat. Thank you. Well, Certainly what has happened in the past, well, firstly, we have the electrical work, but I've refocused on things that actually produce a huge amount of community interest and support. And obviously, Model Rail Radio is overwhelming in terms of that thing. So I've doubled down my efforts for Model Rail Radio because the quality of the people who I meet through doing this thing is unlike anything you could ever imagine. And it's been a real luxury to be able to, uh, to not only talk to people initially, but then to go and meet people and... Um, you know, we've had Jim Gifford call in. Jim came and stayed with us, and I've been to Jim's place. He's thrown barbecues for me on a couple of occasions. It becomes more than just a podcast. And certainly I'm redoubling my efforts because, yeah, the community is just an amazing thing. So thank you very much for calling in, Don. 
Look forward to Absolutely. talking to you in the future. Take care. Take care. I'd like to welcome on a gentleman who personifies Model Rail Radio as a community-involved interest. Jim Walsh, I've spoken to you since I've been in Marwa, but what's been going on with you? When we last spoke after Marwa, you are in the period of like moving and rearranging your life and doing a bunch of things. Is that correct? How, how's that going? Um, it's, it's going along. Um, unfortunately, um, early in November, I had an accident and fractured my pelvis, so I'm oh. kind of limited. I, I don't work because I, I have been on a, a work crew for two layouts in my area. Mm. And, uh, so I'm not doing that and I'm kind of confined to one floor. So whatever I find model rail related and tools. So I've been picking through finding some kits and, and building some kits just before I had my accident. However, I, I went to the, uh, the fine scale model expo Ooh. in Albany. Yes. Um, that was, that was, I had been to one previously when it was in Scranton. Mm-hmm. And this year it was in Albany and a friend of mine, we, we drove up to Albany and we attended one day of the, of the expo. It's, it's a fine, it's a fine, uh, meet because it's like the first time you see built craftsman structures, there's nothing in photographic or video that can do it justice, Without but question. you have to see, yeah. you have to see them in person. Most definitely. Most definitely. And all the vendors were there and the clinics were great. And we also broke, um, we went up there on Friday. On Saturday, we went to a show in Syracuse. And then we went back to to do the um, layouts at the expo on Sunday. I got, to, I got to see the RPI layout. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, I was thinking to myself, why didn't I go to RPI for college? <laughs> but then I, I, I was reading some notes on it today. And they were only working on it in 72. And I graduated in 74. So I wouldn't have been... It wouldn't have been anywhere near what I yes. saw when I was there this year. It was quite amazing. Um, the the layout being like 40 years old, it's still very viable. Some areas were being updated. You could see like static grass growing in some places. Yeah. So it, it was it was really amazing. And and a, a few other layouts that were also associated with the show had the same kind of fine modeling throughout. They so, have an active uh, Facebook page for folks listening. In, can you plug? RPI for those in the know, but can you plug the full name so folks can find the Facebook page? Uh, the name of the railroad is the New England, uh, Berkshire and Western, I think. I think you can actually look it up for the, uh, New England, Berkshire and Western. I was on the Facebook page today. They have a really, um, interesting thing on their Facebook page. They have a, a 3D. Oh yeah, it's the N B N W N E B N W's is the title on their Facebook page. Let me get this correct. It's the Rensselaer Polytechnic yeah, it, Institute. It's not the Rochester one. It's the Rensselaer. No, no, one. it's the yeah. it's Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Yes, not the Rochester one. The Rochester oh. one is also a very active Facebook group. They, they yes. have <laughs> right. They have one. Uh, they have a model railroad up there too. Yes. So this one has um, on their not too far down the posts on their um, Facebook page, they have a explore the Rensselaer model, model railroad society in 3d. And when you mm. click on it, it gives you like this 
three D. You can traverse through the yes. whole thing, and it's multi rooms. Like it, it's it's really quite amazing. I was so glad I got to see it. Um, mm. That was one of the when we were scoping out which layouts we were going to visit. I said we definitely have to see this because I've been hearing about it for years, and now I'm going to go see it. Wonderful, wonderful. While I was at the expo, I also you know Todd Wiley. I, I don't personally, but yeah, I've heard I, of him. I think he's been on your site from time to time. Mm-hmm. They have that HO scale customs. Yes, yes. Well, he was at the expo. In fact, that's their niche. This this type of modeling. That's what their podcast is about. Certainly. So um, he was he was there, and prior to that, several of their podcasts had been dedicated to um, promoting the show. They had and, Dave Freire on. He contacted me directly yes. and said, you've got to listen to our Dave Freire. And I said, look, the more Dave Freire that gets out there, <laughs> the, better, right. the more wisdom that can be conversed with this man. I mean, although we do abuse him for barbecue-related topics when he calls into Model Rail Radio, I, I, you can't imagine someone who is more like uh, just a prophet in the hobby, just a saint in the Model Railroading hobby. His wisdom and the coverage that he has... It's just absolutely amazing. So, yes, when I got the email saying we've interviewed Dave Freire, I said, get more interviews. <laughs> more interviews. <laughs> and, and did, yeah. did you see Dave Freire on um, on Ken Patterson's weekly podcast a couple of weeks ago? I have, uh, as there's been a he theme does. in this recording associated with being snowed in for work. And uh, unfortunately, I've been snowed in for work. I haven't even seen my podcast in <laughs> The past. Oh, okay. It's a, it's, it's a luxury to be able to talk to you today, Jim, in some degree. My cell phone is off at arm's length and I'm scanning it occasionally. So, no, I haven't had an opportunity to, to see that either. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was he was on the panel for the, the weekly um, video podcast that they do. Mm. So, Dave, Dave is always an impressive interview. Most definitely. Most definitely. And no one is ever the same. He has sufficient knowledge in the hobby that he makes sure that every interview he does is a unique thing, which uh, I certainly appreciate. And I also met um, Doug Hogston. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does Track Talk Live and other th- He works for Model Railroad Academy. Mm. And and I met him uh, at the expo because I had been watching his Track Talk Live the prior episode, and he indicated he was going to be up in Albany, so I, I made a point of searching him out and I introduced myself so it's certainly a quality show I mean I think that seems to be the feedback that everyone gives that if you want to go to one show of the year where you oh, meet yeah. some amazing people this is the show that you should go to so yes yeah I, I ran into Kaylee there mm-hmm. Kaylee Zhang yes and, and um because I had seen her at the NER as well Certainly. you I, saw her at the she NER. gave a we presentation all... at the NER right. so yeah no right. and I she came to the Model Wire Radio uh, meal as well and it's similarly someone in the hobby who's is one to watch and one to follow because uh yeah she's got a lot of uh really amazing insights so always a pleasure to catch up with kaylee when i had the opportunity so yeah i really enjoyed that show and uh of course i came home with a with a few kits <laughs> which might actually be helpful for your current condition if they're in well, your vicinity it's, right it's, it's true i have one of uh hal reynolds kits mm-hmm. and um I had limited things, but a friend of mine came to visit the other day, and I sent him down into the shop and said, can you get me my tight bond? <laughs> I need to put the bracing on this kit. Very good. So, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm getting pieces. I, I got some some uh, plastic cement today, so mm. I keep getting 
someone going down and, and getting – the hardest thing is to try to tell someone where something is, where oh, I know exactly where it is. Yeah. So, but yeah. that's that's what I'm, I'm kind of confined to doing. But I'm, I think I'm halfway. It's about six weeks for a bone to heal, so I'm about halfway through it. So. Well, Jim, rest up. Do the healing process. The hobby is actually quite useful in these times as well. I mean, if you're if you're able to get type bond, I reflected today with my wife that I have super glue and white glue in three separate locations in the house in different areas, just because they tend to be the things that you need immediately. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, I in a two story house. I understand. I think in horror of the potential of one day injuring myself where I can come upstairs because yes, as you say, these things are. Uh, Difficult to describe to other people. So rest up, get those bones healed, and uh, I look forward to talking to you when you call into Model Royal Radio next. Thank you for calling in, Chip. Thank you. Okay, folks, this has been a short show plagued with a few technical difficulties. Unfortunately, my call recording software is not working up to snuff. But I am also looking at my podcasting room and thinking that this room needs some serious love after uh, yeah a couple of weeks of not spending enough time up here. Got to clean things up, get things spick and span. It's going to become a uh, bedroom for my in-laws while I'm in the UK, so it needs to look extra spiffy for that. A real pleasure catching up with folk. Real pleasure actually making contact with Don. Uh, as he said, we had a plan to meet uh, a few years ago now. And unfortunately, I went to the. Sh- I think I went to the show and waited around for about an hour and a half. And literally, like half an hour after I left, I got the message from Don. So great to have him calling in. Always a pleasure catching up with a wide variety of folk. As I started this show, the Mind Mount Models Track Plan Contest is going to be heating up. We've had two entries, two entries of note, but there is still plenty of space, plenty of new insights and ideas uh, that could go into that contest. So. I'm assuming you've heard the start of the show. You've probably heard the rules uh, so far. And please get in contact with me through email or Facebook if you have any questions associated with the contest too. Well, thanks to everyone for uh, for participating this evening. And thanks for the folks for listening in. Good evening. Good evening. Good night, Tom. <laughs>